This series has been all about story, about the power of our story and whether we are going to take hold of that power and share it with a world that desperately needs to hear about what Jesus has done for us about how he's changed our lives. This message, this final in this series, The Power of Story, is really the so what message. It's so what do we do with what we've been talking about over the last several weeks? What do we do with our story and why does it ultimately matter so much what we choose to do with it? But the, the power of story is simply all about telling what Jesus has done in your life, how he changed you, shaped you, and just having a willingness to say, I'm going to tell somebody about this. The greatest impact that you will have on someone's spiritual life is not being able to tell them some random Bible facts or being able to speak to some deep theological issue, though both of those things have their value. The biggest difference you will make in someone's life is being willing to share your story about what Jesus has done for you personally, how he changed you, how he got a hold of your eternity and your heart. That's what people will really connect with. When we look at the examples in the Bible, we see in the New Testament person after person that got to know Jesus, that got to see what Jesus was doing, that got to be shaped and changed by Jesus. Their story was impacted by him. And then they couldn't help but tell someone about it. And we're going to dig all into that idea today. This very first story, what, what I'm going to do in these is I'm not going to necessarily read to you all of the individual stories because most of you know them. We're going to kind of pick up at the tail end when it comes to the text itself uh, of each one of these stories. But this first story is the woman at the well. Look at John chapter 4, 39 through 42. We're going to hang out mainly today in the gospel of Mark, but I want to start here in John's gospel. John 4, 39 through 42. You remember, most of you know this story. Jesus was traveling through Judea, and on his way, he went around, kind of out of his way to Samaria to go and bring the gospel we know this now when he was on a mission to bring the gospel to this woman and to bring the gospel into Samaria to start to tell them about who he was. So he meets this woman at the well. She's a Samaritan woman. You know, Jews and Samaritans didn't get along, but here he is loving her, reaching out to her. And she's saying, you know, he's, she's there to draw water and he's telling her about this living water. He's explaining to her that he is the living water, but she's like, oh, you've got water that I can drink and never be thirsty again. She's like, sign me up. Well, of course she was because she'd been schlepping water, you know, buckets and buckets of water every day. She's like, you got some water and now that we won't be thirsty anymore. How does that work? I want some of that. I don't want to lug these buckets. But Jesus was saying to her and he said to her, I am that living water. That's me. And so she came to believe because, you know, he goes on to tell her about the wrong that she's done in her life and makes it clear that he's a prophet, that he's somebody worth believing in. She sees this in him. 
Even as an outsider, she sees the power of Jesus. And so it changes her life and she can't help but talk about it. Look at verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Your story, you know, used to be referred to a lot more back in the day as your testimony. You can still call it that if you want, but your testimony is your story. Your story is your testimony. We're testifying to what Jesus has done in your life. It says, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him, with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. So her story, her testimony really begat even more stories. Now they're like, we don't just believe because you told us your story. Now we've got a story of our own that we're telling because Jesus got a hold of us too. This is what happens when we are able and willing to tell our story. This is what has been happening for thousands of years with the propagation, the proliferation of the gospel. It's gone out and out and out and out into the world because people were willing to tell about what Jesus had done for them. Yes, they've, they've told and talked about the biblical truths in the Bible, and that's critical. But they've been willing to say and to tell and to teach their story. Friends, believers, that responsibility is on us now. It's our time to tell our story. It's your responsibility to not keep your story to yourselves. These stories in the Bible of what God has done in the lives of his followers, they're, they're powerful. And we know them, many of them are recorded because they were willing to tell them. They couldn't help but talking about Jesus. And that led to many more followers. When we tell people about Jesus, we need to start believing in the power of our story to actually have this kind of impact in somebody's life. We need to start believing that the power of our story could impact somebody's life just like one of these stories that we read about and that we will study today. Our story of how Jesus got a hold of us has the potential to reach somebody that's far from God. But here's a question I want to lay on you to challenge you. Now remember, today I'm here to challenge you, but God has already challenged me. All right? I just mean like God works on me on all this stuff before I ever say it to you. He holds me accountable to all this stuff in my own heart and in my own life before I ever say it to you. And I do not stand before you as someone who gets it right all the time. I try to tell you guys that a million times. Had somebody leave the first service this morning and are like, oh, that's a great message. But I'm just going to go home worried today. I was like, what? No. I'll go home worried. My, my goal is for you to walk out of here encouraged and inspired. Friends, we are here to kick each other in the pants a little bit. We need that. We need a little bit of like, hey man, let's go. 
We need a little bit of deep encouragement and challenge for us. We are supposed to be getting ourselves coming here, coming together, getting patched up for the battle, and then getting back out into the battle together. That's what we're here to do. Not to leave because we're scared about something, but to leave going out of here saying, let's go together in the fight. Because none of us have got it all together and me, the chief most won. So come with me for the fight. We'll do it imperfectly, but brothers and sisters, we will fight together, amen? Let's go together. So listen, here's my question for you. When's the last time you told someone your story? When's the last time you told someone how Jesus saved you? A lot of us don't really like the answer to that question because we know that in a lot of cases, it's been way too long. So why don't we do this? Why don't we just start here? What about your kids or your grandkids? Have you told them what Jesus has done for you? Have you told them about how Jesus got a hold of your heart? Why don't you start there? Usually it's a friendly audience. That's a good place to start. You know, it's hard for us to talk about it with others because it's just a challenging thing. Let's just be honest. We love, I mean, you can love Jesus super, super deep down in your soul, but sometimes he can still be hard to talk about him because we get nervous. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to end this message today kind of talking about that piece of it. But why don't you start with your kids, with your grandkids, with a nephew, with a niece? Just tell them. You might be like, well, they already know about Jesus. Okay, that's not what I said. Have you told them about what Jesus has done for you? Practice telling your story. Share your story because it has power with them, not just for your practice, but in practice. It may make a difference in their life. Your story will probably be something that stays with them for the rest of their lives. Yeah, because they'll remember from your heart, you just sharing with them what Jesus has done. Look, most of y'all have heard my story ad nauseum. You're sick of it, but I'm going to tell it again because not everybody has, and I'll tell it quickly. But I, I grew up going to the Episcopal Church. My mom took me to church. You know, we had the Book of Common Prayer. I don't remember ever, ever seeing a Bible up until the point that I was 14 or 15. I'm sure that I did, but I don't remember it. I just remember that every Sunday in church, we were using the Book of Common Prayer. And so when somebody, when I started, a friend of mine invited me to church on Sunday nights, go to the youth group. They put a Bible in my hand. They started teaching me more deeply about Jesus. And, and the Lord got a hold of me. And I started reading it on my own and studying on my own and knowing more about it on my own, about who Jesus was. And it was during that season in my life that Jesus saved me. But it was later in my life, yes, even in the midst of my ministry, years later, where Jesus really freed me because I finally understood the gospel. Now, I was free from the weight of my sin. If I had died, I'd go to heaven, et cetera, et cetera. But I was freed later in my life because I still thought up until that point, okay, yes, Jesus saved me, but every day if I'm not getting something right, man, I'm, I'm such a mess and Jesus is not going to love me and I, I'm, I'm going to die and go to hell. Like that was how I still thought about, in other words, it was about my performance. So I had not really understood the gospel yet. And y'all, I was like, you know, in my twenties, true story. So we are all a work in progress. Our stories are all a work in progress. And for me, that was a big piece. So Jesus saved me as a teenager. He freed me 
as a, young, a younger adult. And, and my prayer is that you will find your story. That's my story. I don't know your story in most cases. But you find your story because what I have found is that when I tell that story with people that are far from God or have left the church, fallen away, or didn't know him at all, when I just share with them about how the Lord got a hold of me, that's the thing that has seemed to have the most impact. I can try to answer their Bible questions and all these kinds of things that, you know, sometimes around controversial issues and that stuff. And I'll do that and have done that. But the thing that has made the most impact is just telling my story. And the same, I believe, will be true for you. But we got a choice to make. I mean, it's up to you. I can't make you tell it. I can't make you own it. You have to decide that. What am I going to do with Jesus? What am I going to do with Jesus? And then if he gets a hold of me, what am I going to do with what Jesus has done with me? That has to be personal. That has to be you and him, deeply connected. We live, as you well know, we live here in the South, where there is unfortunately a lot of faith by proxy. It's awesome, also frequently known as cultural Christianity. And I'll just tell you, y'all, it's scary. In some ways, it actually makes preaching and teaching the gospel here more difficult or as difficult as preaching and teaching the gospel in the northeast part of the United States, which is a challenge in and of itself. But at least a bunch of the people in the northeast, they don't believe in God, but they don't want to believe in God, and they know they don't believe in God, and they're trying not to have anything to do with him. They don't want to hear it. At least they know that they are not believers, that they're not following God. They don't have a thought in their mind that they are. So in some ways, it actually makes them more uh, of an, it gives you more opportunity to share. I mean, it, they're different challenges, they're, but you know, they're challenges both, but they're just challenges. In the South, people think that they're saved because they grow up going to church. People think they're saved because mama and grandmama read them stories about Jesus and they went to church on Easter and Christmas Eve. And maybe they prayed a prayer at Vacation Bible School when they were eight. Now, they haven't been back to church much, maybe on those major holidays, and they, they don't read their Bible, and they're not really talking or praying or, or having a deep relationship with Jesus, unless something goes really, really super wrong, and sometimes they might throw a prayer up there, see what happens. Now, that's a scary thing. It's scary stuff to think about how many people, including us sometimes, sometimes that's been us. So if that's you and I stepped on your toes, I love you, but I love you enough to tell you the truth. I love you enough and Jesus loves you enough to not have you stay the same, just as he's done for me. Thank God he didn't allow me to lie to myself about that I had it all together and that I, there was nothing that I needed to work on and you know, I got this. Thank God he didn't allow me to keep believing those lies. So I love you enough to not allow you to believe those lies. It's dangerous stuff that we live in the midst of. You can't be saved by proxy through someone else's story. Doesn't matter how much your grandmama loved Jesus. Doesn't matter how much your pappy loved Jesus. It matters how much you love Jesus and it's a true relationship that you have with him. 
Listen, I love what Steve Lawson says about this. He says, many people will miss heaven by 18 inches. They will miss heaven by 18 inches. The distance between their head and their heart. Whew. You can be religious, but lost. And I'm not just talking about you can come to church on, you know, Christmas Eve and, 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 uh, and, and you know, some other holiday. I'm talking about you can show up here every week and warm a pew and be religious and still be lost. Now, hear me say again, this is not about how well you do. This is not about your personal behavior, how perfect you get everything. No, this is about a deep desire to follow Jesus and give him your life. You're sold out to him. That's, that's the difference. So make sure you hear what I'm saying. Let me finish this quote. He said, you can be religious, but lost. You can have the Bible in your head, but not have Christ in your heart. Mm. Friends, you got to own it. You've got to authentically be a follower of Jesus. It's got to be you and him. This is why Jesus warned. Listen, I don't think this one's on the screen because I threw it in at the last minute, but I want you to listen to it. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Our team back there does a great job, and sometimes I just throw verses in there to trip them up. But this is one I want you to hear. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? We had all this religious activity. Look at it all. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. So now you can see why the lady left early this morning and she was like scared. I was like, but listen, that's not the message I want to ultimately convey. That's a piece of the message. It's a wake-up call for all of us. But none of this is ultimately about how good you do. It's a sincerity issue. Are you sincerely in Jesus? And is that motivating you and moving you to want to take hold of your story for the good of the Lord and his church? When it is our story in Christ, we can't help but want to tell it. It's burning a hole through us like Jeremiah talks about. It's like a fire shut up in my bones, he says. And if I don't talk about the Lord, it's going to basically consume me. That's the way I want to be. And it's the way that I believe we are called to be as Christians. And when we look at the examples in Scripture, you've got Jesus getting a hold of people's lives, healing them from the inside out, and then telling them really specifically. I think this is maybe the one case where it was okay to not listen to Jesus because they did a really poor job at it, but I think in a lot of ways it's been good. He would tell them, don't tell anybody. And like, they couldn't help themselves. They're just like, no, I've got I to talk about it. Look, look at Mark chapter 1, 43 and 44. Again, this is the culmination of what's just happened in the story. There was a man with leprosy, and he says, if you are willing, teacher, will you heal me? And Jesus says to him, I am willing. 
And he heals him, just like for you. If you will come today and fall on the mercy of Jesus, if you are in this room and you will fall on the mercy of Jesus, if you are online and you will fall on the mercy of Jesus, Jesus is saying to you the same thing he said to that man. I am willing. He's willing to save. He's willing to redeem. He's willing to change your eternity. And Jesus, verse 43, so after this happens, he heals him. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Verse 45 speaks, though, and I, and I don't have this one on either, but I, I kind of threw this one in as well, the latter part of this, the very last part. This man can't help but go and talk about it. He goes out and instead it says he went and he talked freely to everyone about what happened. Just like you and I would. I mean, we'd do the same thing. Let's just be honest. We wouldn't be able to help. But if we'd had some huge infirmity, um, some big condition, and Jesus healed us, we, we would be dying to go talk about it. But friends, look right at me now. Every single one of you has had this really big condition and it was killing you. And you, if you know Jesus, have been miraculously healed from it. It's called sin. And it had condemned you to death. And now you are saved if you are in Christ. And so we ought to want to go tell somebody about it. This is the same idea. And, and what happens is, and one of the you know, people ask, this is one of those Bible questions people ask a lot, like, why did Jesus tell people to not talk about it? I mean, shouldn't he have wanted everybody to go talk about everything he was doing? And I know they're usually looking to me for some really super deep theological answer, and there may be one. I may have missed it. But to me, the simple thing is Jesus had things to do, and the crush of people was so difficult that he literally needed to be able to move. And if you just read the verse here, I mean, I'm not making it up. It literally says that it got difficult for him to go around and travel because people were coming, let's call them the looky-loos. The looky-loos were coming out either just to see this great prophet they'd heard of, or they were coming just for the physical healing. They were coming for the show. And so Jesus was always battling against that. As a matter of fact, we're going to read a few verses here in just a moment that talk about how Jesus is not going to give in to the show mentality. He's not interested in that. But here's the bottom line I hope that you're seeing in this. People who really experienced and got to know Jesus and had their life changed by him, they felt the impact and they had to talk about it. In Mark chapter 5, verse 43 this is, again, the culmination, the, the culminating verse of what's just happened. Jairus, this leader in the synagogue, kind of a bigwig, he had come to Jesus and he'd said, my, my daughter is very sick. We believe she's dying. Can you come and help? And Jesus says, yes. And so you know the story. Jesus is on his way and literally on his way to do one miracle, he gets stopped because he does another miracle because a woman with the bleeding issue touches his cloak and he's like, who touched me, remember? And heals her. If you don't know that story, just read it. You got a Bible, just read it later. Not right now while I'm talking, but read it and, and catch up. But so he heals this lady on the way, and then by the time he's healed the lady, somebody comes and says, hey, don't bother the teacher anymore, Jairus, your daughter has died. Quit, quit bothering the teacher, she's dead. He's like, no, no, it's going to be all right. Come with me. 
So they get there and they're like, you know, yeah, the, the little girl has died. And he says, no, she's not dead. She's just asleep. And they laugh at that. Like they, they can't believe he'd even say that. They know what dead people look like. She's dead. But he goes in there and he says, Talitha kum, which means little girl, wake up. And she does. And guess what they did? We know what they did because we're reading the story. They talked about it. Sorry, this thing is popping, y'all. They talked about it. How could they help it? The little girl was dead and now she was alive. They weren't going to keep that to themselves. They couldn't help themselves at the power of Jesus. Mark chapter 7, verse 36. Mark 7, 36. There's a deaf and a mute man that comes to Jesus. Gets, you know, Jesus again, heals him. And then it was said of Jesus in that context that clearly he had done everything well. And more and more people started talking about what he'd done. Verse 36, Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone about the healing. They knew the dude was deaf and mute, and they knew that now he wasn't. So guess what they wanted to do with that? The power of Jesus was there. They said, we want to tell somebody about this. He says, don't tell anybody. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. They just couldn't help themselves. When Jesus has really changed your story, you will not be able to help talking about it. Doesn't mean you'll always get it right. Maybe a better way to say it is you will not be able to help the desire, the wanting to talk about it. You won't always get it right, but that desire will be stirred up in you. And if it isn't, pray that it will be. Pray for the Lord to help you. Lord, increase my faith that you'd be bold, that you'd share. There's a story that, that came out some years ago, and I, I've told it before, but I want to tell it again because it is, it is just in line with what we're talking about today. Most everybody knows about the, the, the magic duo Penn and Teller, and most of you know that Penn Gillette, who is one half of the Penn and Teller group, that he's a noted atheist. So some years back, he recorded this YouTube video, and you can go on YouTube and watch it today. But he recorded this video of a man that he'd met after one of his shows. Now, the man had ended up being involved in the show that day. You know, they sometimes involve the audience. This man had been involved, and so he had some of the props. I mean, he didn't, the guy didn't know he was going to be involved before he went there, but they kind of pulled people up, and he was one of the guys. So when he comes up to Gillette afterwards, he, he kind of thinks he's going to have him sign something or whatever. But instead, this man hands Gillette a Bible. And he says, I signed this. I signed this. I wrote my name in it and I wrote my information in case you want to talk more. He said, I'm, I'm kind of proselytizing. Now, Gillette calls it proselytizing. I don't know if the guy did or not. But just a big word for talking about your faith telling your story, here's, I want to tell you about Jesus kind of thing. He said, but look, I, I'm a businessman. I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he, and he looked Gillette right in the eyes. This is Gillette telling the story, noted atheist. He says, Gillette says, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist, but he was not defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. And he's, he was truly complimentary. He didn't, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane. And he looked me right in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. You notice he mentions that multiple times. He, he looked me in the eyes. 
Like he really wanted to know him. Like he really wanted to have an actual conversation with him. Gillette then stated that about this, and I love this, maybe one of the most powerful parts of the story. He said, you know what? I don't respect Christians that don't proselytize. I don't respect the ones that basically don't talk about what it is they believe with other people. He said, I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that it's not really worth telling them because it would make it socially awkward. And he said, I know that there's atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize and they're just like, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. But he says, listen, y'all, the atheist is preaching the sermon right now. Listen, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? Gillette asked, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? If he believed, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, and that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And that, he says, and this is more important than that. That's the atheist speaking, y'all. Recognizing that if we really believe this stuff we're saying, it's going to impact us. And you might, again, you might be sitting there like the sweet lady that talked to me on the way out today, and you're just like feeling beat down. You're like, well, I don't, I don't feel that enough. I, why am I not good? Don't do that. Don't, don't leave here discouraged. Leave here encouraged. Leave here praying, Lord, again, increase my faith. Bring in me a desire that makes me want to tell my story. But we've just got a choice to make. Are we going to be like that guy that was bold for his faith, shared the word of God, talked to somebody that he knew didn't believe? Or are we going to be like this last batch of people? Look at these last verses with me. John 7 1 through 13. This is a lot, so I'm going to read kind of quick. John 7, 1 through 13. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brother said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. They're like, man, you got to leave this small town. You got to get out there in the big time now. If you're really doing all these things, and if all this is an authentic thing that you're actually doing, Jesus, you need to get out there and do it on the big stage. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. Because, and here's why I kind of set this story up this way. Listen to what he says. For he, even his own brothers, did not believe in him. Which we've talked about that before, you know, all of you guys that have siblings, right? If your brother or sister suddenly said, hey, I'm the savior of the world, you'd probably find that hard to believe. Okay, so this is where they are. They're struggling with the belief in this. All right, verse six. Therefore, Jesus told them, my time is not yet here for you. Any time will do for you and your human mentality. Any time will do because you're thinking like a human. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I am not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. 
He was not going to give in to their desire to be there and be a public spectacle. It says, now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Again, all a part of Jesus knowing the timing, him having a purpose and a plan to everything he was doing. This is just a part of that. Verse 12, among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he's a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Friends, we have a choice to make. What are we going to do? Who are we going to be? Don't let this be your story. Because here's the thing that penetrates my heart the most when I think about this story. Jesus sees all this. When Jesus goes secretly to the festival and the people are scared of the other human beings, so they don't want to talk about Jesus because they're scared of the leaders. Jesus is there like in the background. And this is, you know, we don't, we don't read this, but we know that he sees this because we get to learn about it later. He sees their shame in him. Now, they probably wouldn't call it that. But let's at least say that there's not enough bold belief that makes them want to talk about him. And Jesus is there, like in the background, like, ah. They don't believe strongly enough to talk about me. They're too scared of these human leaders. And then I just remember, again, this penetrates my own heart. I just remember that every time I'm not bold enough, every time I'm too afraid, Jesus sees that. And he expects more out of me. Friends, we follow the God of the universe that created everything. And we're going to be scared of what some human being thinks about us? It just doesn't make any sense. But I know we're guilty of it. So again, this is the reminder. This is the kick in the pants. This is the get back in the fight and in the battle. Don't be happy on the sideline. Let's go. This is the reminder for us today. I don't want Jesus to find me cowering in the corner. I want him to see me standing on the battlefield, fighting the fight. Because he's going to see me wherever I am. My prayer for you and me is that he finds us fighting in a good way. Let me give you this final thing to do. To try to take this message and this series home, I'm using an example from Dave Ferguson's book. His book is literally called Bless. And Ferguson lays out these kind of things with the acronym around the word bless that help us actually do what we've been talking about in this sermon series, which is tell our story. And he does it again with, with bless. You can show him the image. So here's five simple ways you can bless. Five simple ways you can set yourself up for success in telling your story. So if you've got the sermon notes, you can write these in. If you've got a cell phone camera, you can take a picture of this. We're going to share this later on our social media so you can get it from there. But I want you to hang on to this and I want you to look back at it. 
This is something for our whole church to use. This is something that takes this series of messages from more than just something else we did to something we're actually going to do. Here's the first thing. B, begin with prayer. One of the things I found most powerful is that before I go into a Kroger or a coffee shop or wherever, I'm trying to pray and say, God, open up doors here. Give me opportunities to speak about you. Now, I don't always do that, but I do it pretty frequently. And I have found that in the times when I do, God opens doors. Because he's a God who answers prayers. We shouldn't be surprised by that. He will do the same for you. But pray for opportunity. Pray for the people in your life and the places you are in, wherever that is. Community, neighborhood, workplace, friend group, peer group, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Pray for those opportunities in prayer. Ask God to use you in that, that you'll have an opportunity to tell your story. Second thing is, listen, just like we saw with that story with Pendulette and the guy that came and talked to him and gave him a Bible, he looked the guy in the eyes. He wanted to have a real conversation. This was not throwing a tract at somebody and running away, right? This is not that. It's not effective. Not going to work. Don't do it. Like, actually listen to people, genuinely want to know them and care about them because that's what good friends do. And if you want to see people be moved and motivated to follow Jesus, simply start by being a good friend and listening to them. Really hear what's going on in their life, needs you might be able to meet, and then pray, God, how can you use me to do this? How can I be a part of this? Third thing is this, eat. Man, I tell you what, we all love to eat. Later today, we're going to get together. We're going to eat some ice cream. Whole church family's invited. Four o'clock today, that's your reminder. Put a reminder in your phone. Show up. Everybody likes ice cream. If you don't, I provide free counseling services, and I will help you through that. All right, for real, be here to eat with us today. But listen, start by inviting somebody. Start by inviting somebody to come eat, a neighbor, a coworker, somebody that you know is far from God. Don't only do it so that you can share the gospel. Do it so that you can, like we just talked about, listen, know them, be a true friend. But then God is going to open doors for storytelling. He will. I believe that. Fourth thing, serve. Hey, when you are serving somebody, you are setting your story up for success because you are you are building relational traction. You are building a, a relational um, account, if you will, with these folks because they're going to see your heart and your desire to not just take but to give. That's a beautiful thing. So be a person that serves. Final thing is the story. We've been talking about this. Commit yourself to this. I will share the story of Jesus and what he's doing in my life with others. It's not about, again, random Bible facts and all those, you know, random Bible facts have their place, but it is about you being able to speak to, this is what Jesus has done for me and I want to tell other people about it. There is a power in your story and just imagine, just go there with me in your mind's eye. I promise I'm, all, I'm almost done. Go with me in your mind's eye right now and think, what would it be like? If just the people in this room got passionate about sharing their stories, just look around, take a minute, look side to side. It's okay, your neck will turn this way and that way. Try it out. Just look around and think, what would happen if just the people in this room 
got passionate about telling people about what Jesus had done for him. What would the impact for the gospel be? You know and I know it'd be huge. It could even be county changing. Yeah. And who knows, maybe world changing. There's opportunity, but we've got to leverage this story. What are we going to do with it? Your story is your story between you and God. What are you going to do with it? Let's pray together that God will move us so deeply that we cannot help but share that story. Will you pray with me now? Lord Jesus, you're so good to us. You've saved us, Lord, and we don't deserve you. But God, I pray that right now you would just fill us up. Fill us up with the joy of our story and how you've saved us. Some of us have these really what we would call exciting testimonies, Jesus. And others of us maybe have a, what some people would call a boring testimony. But Jesus, I know you know that no testimony is boring. No testimony is boring, Jesus. And we say thank you because you have saved us from sin. And that is worth telling about. You have saved us from a death sentence. And that is exciting. Help us not keep that to ourselves. Lord, as we get our hearts ready for communion now to really remember everything that you've done, I pray that we'll just be able to focus on you. That we'll be able to focus on who you are, how you love us, how you saved us, how your blood covers us. It gives us a fresh start, a clean slate. Help us get ready, Lord, to receive you now, to be reminded of the gift of having our sins forgiven by no merit of our own, but by all you've done, Jesus. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's just be still and quiet before him for just a minute. Let's get our hearts and our minds right, friends.